Music to Code By is taking the developer world by storm. Now there are six extra tracks available online in addition to the original three. That's nine Pomodoros of pure productivity just waiting for you. Check them out at mtcb.pwop.com. Net Rocks, episode 1230, with guest Matt Johnson. Recorded Friday, November 20th, 2015. Hey, guess what? It's time for .NET Rocks. This is Carl Franklin. And this is Richard Campbell. And we're back in the studio and you had a little uh, accidente, didn't yeah, you? Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I call it a forced renovation of the basement. <laughs> Due to water. <laughs> yes. This time, not a fish tank bursting, because, you know, that would never happen. Who would ever have that happen? That doesn't happen. Not caused by a water-cooled PC leak. Not caused by water well, This was a really, really heavy rain, and uh, something's gone wrong with our drainage system, which we were having plumbers work on now. And so water just sort of bubbled up through the floor and put about an inch of water all over the basement. Uh. So we're uh, renovating the basement. There was very little stuff on the floor. Everything was in cabinets or on counters and things. So there's not a lot of damage in that respect. But mm. every wall is wet. Every carpet is wet. There's water under all the tile. So it's all the flooring is out and drywall cut three foot up all the way around. Server closet's fine. It was 18 inches off the ground. Yeah. You know, all that stuff is fine. Let me tell you, the fun part is having the packers, the guys that are coming in to pack out the room as part of the insurance claim. Right. They all, I, the very first guy, the organizer came in. I showed him the server closet, scared him with it. Ah. He now uses that gag on everybody that comes in. <laughs> so they're all scared of that closet. Don't open the closet. Look out. That's a scary door. All right. Well, uh, something very um, unique for Better Know Framework today, Richard. Awesome. Roll the music. All right, buddy. What do you got? Well, if I were to tell you that synesthesia is run amok, you know, how could you possibly, you know, cross senses in a way that you think might make sense, but in reality it doesn't? Well, how about this? How about making guitars from whiskey barrels? Okay, okay that's run amok for us anyway. <laughs> because everybody knows whiskey barrel wood sounds great. <laughs> I'm talking about acoustic guitars. Acoustic guitars made from whiskey barrels. I yeah. love it. Go to, and this was actually uh, a tweet that we got from Oscar Zarate. So thanks, Oscar. Uh, as a suggestion, I think he said, Carl, you need one of these. So <laughs> go to bitly.com slash whiskey barrel guitar, and that's whiskey with an E, B-A-R-R-E-L, guitar. Bushmills Irish Whiskey partners with Loden 
at Loudon, probably, to create handcrafted whiskey barrel oak guitars. Bushmills Irish Whiskey, which has been handcrafted on the north coast of Ireland for centuries, has partnered with world-famous luthier George Loudon to create three special edition guitars handmade from barrel oak used in the whiskey-making process. So if you read this, what they basically say is they take these staves and they glue them together. Yes, that's right. It's a plywood guitar. Nice. Glued together. And then they uh, sand it and and all of that stuff, and they cut the the shapes out of those glued-together staves. And I'm, you know, while that might be really cool, I just don't think it's going to sound good. Yeah, that's always the question, right? Is how does it sound? What were those old school guitars that they made in the in the deep south that were they were made out of boxes too? Oh, you're talking about cigar boxes. The cigar box guitars, yeah. Yeah, well, those usually were electrified, so they didn't have to rely so much on the sound of the wood to, you know, they just put a little pickup on it and and usually played with a slide and just a couple of strings. Those are a lot of fun, actually. Right. But an acoustic guitar. You know, the wood is a is a really big part of the sound. Yeah, and this is what you did on Acoustic Addicts, right? That's Just right. Talking about the resonance differences between each of these different kinds of wood. That's right. Yeah, and you know, the the cheaper ones are made out of plywood, and the, you know, it's a laminate kind of thing, and they just don't have the sound that a that a nice aged rosewood, for example, has or maple top. So anyway, I I you know I'm. I'm always curious and I and I brought this out there because we do have a lot of listeners that play guitar and some of them might have other opinions. I haven't heard them. I don't know what they sound like. I could be totally eating my hat here. But my my first inclination is that they probably don't sound all that good. They may they maybe sound fine, you know, but they they're probably not great. So there you go, Richard. Who's talking to us today? Grabbed a comment off of show 1214, the one we did with Scott Nimrod on yeah. testing and craftsmanship, which, by the way, has at this moment- Broken a record. 53 comments. He's broken a record for the number of comments oh, on the yeah. show. And, I mean, admittedly, a bunch of those comments are Scott replying to people, but it is, it's impressive, just a sheer amount of dialogue going on here. Yep. And let me read the, the top comment, because I think it's a gem. Ken Dickinson, he says- I really feel that this podcast exposed some real issues with the software development industry on the whole. In my experience, I found that there's a much higher percentage of developers who simply crank out, quote, something that seems to work, unquote, as opposed to well-thought-out, manageable code. By the same token, though, management is often quite happy with the work because they only see the proverbial tip of the iceberg without any level of understanding of the dangers that lie beneath. And you know what? I'm I'm going to amplify that and say that the customers are usually an accomplice to the crime because they want to see something quick. Yeah. And they don't know the consequences. Yeah. And if you spend too much time like architecting, designing, you know, making, making sure that it works and it works well, then they're going to get antsy and not trust you. Well, all too many people, especially people who don't know technology, think that programming is about typing. Yeah. And if you're not typing, you're not programming. Right. Uh, Ken goes on to say, I've often found myself being chastised for doing what I think is things the right way by old school developers who have found the key to survival in the industry for them is still lines of code per minute. Mm. The end result is typically cruft piled upon cruft, patch, patch, and patch some more. 
I believe that one of the biggest issues we still have in our industry is the ability to communicate, and I plead guilty on that count as well. Yeah. Not by intent, but because I have yet to find good ways to communicate the need for and techniques for code that is clean, organized, readable, scalable, and manageable. That communication issue doesn't only apply to management, but also to other developers. Sure does. Whether it's diagrams, analogies, whatever, it seems virtually impossible to communicate simple concepts. All too often, this results in projects where developers can't even come to some agreement on items such as how different components send and receive messages or the data structures used within them. This results in code where every developer does their own thing differently and leaves the next guy with a never-ending set of reverse engineering tasks to perform. It seems that the software industry, on the whole, is still very immature. Yeah, hard to argue with that. Yep. And it, it really, you know, speaks to this whole larger thing about if we are actually going to become a profession. If, you know, I, I think I mentioned this recently. We we're talking about this article in the Atlantic that said software has to stop calling itself an engineering discipline because it just doesn't qualify. Yeah. Yep. You know, right. We, we're nowhere near good enough to be considered engineers. Actually, I talked about it on Hansel Minutia with Scott. Mm. And, uh, yeah, you know, you, you make other engineers look bad when you call yourself a software engineer. Mm -hmm. And I think we need to get there. But we're clearly not there yet. You want to really raise some eyebrows? Call yourself an audio engineer. <laughs> <laughs> we're at the lowest level of Too what funny. could be considered engineer. Right? There you go. <laughs> so thank you, Ken, uh, for your great comment. And a .NET Rocks mug is on its way to you. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, write a comment on the website at .NET Rocks .com or via any of the social media. We post every show to Google Plus and Facebook. And if you comment there, we'll send you a mug. And, of course, you can tweet us anytime. He's at Rich Campbell, and I'm at Carl Franklin. We love tweets. And that brings us to our guest today. Matt Johnson is an expert on the subject of dates and times in computing, including time zones and daylight saving time. As all .NET Rocks listeners know, dates and times, my favorite subject. Not. <laughs> he, I hate dates and times, and this is what he's going to help me with, my fear. He is the author of the Pluralsight course, Date and Time Fundamentals, and a contributor to several time-related open source projects, including Notatime and Moment.js, and has authored several open source projects of his own, such as Time Zone Names, Geo Time Zone, and SQL Server Time Zone Support. In his day job, Matt works at Microsoft on the Patterns and Practices team, where he writes guidance for the Azure cloud. He also spends a lot of his time advising other groups at Microsoft on time zone issues, because someone has to, <laughs> <laughs> and he's working towards improving the state of time zones in .NET and in Windows. Welcome, Matt. Hi, thanks for having me. And uh, I say that because, um, yeah, date and time... Dealing with dates and times is just a never-ending source of pain, and it has been my entire career, developer-wise. And there is some good stuff in the .NET framework I found, but there's you, you still have to, you know, you still have to consider all the problems and possibilities that your code is going to present itself with. Yeah, time zones are always at the butt of that joke of uh, the, the things that are hard in computing are naming things off by one errors and time zones. Yeah. Because they're kind of the same thing, aren't they? They're <laughs> off by five or off by seven. Um, wow, where do we start? Where can where will we start here? What is the problem? And by the way, why does why do we care? 
Sure. So I, I guess the way to approach this is just to think about how computers have changed over the course of history. I know when I was learning about computers as a, as a little kid, uh, I was definitely a computer geek uh, growing up. And, you know, I had my my local uh, computer, my uh, Apple II desktop or my, uh, my IBM 286. And, you know, most of the programs that ran on there had absolutely no concept of where they were located mm. or what was going on on the other side of the world um, or the fact that, that there is this uh, you know global interconnected community that we've become now and then use that we call the internet today right um, you know back in those days when a lot of these things are being figured out and how we're going to deal with time and computing um, it was just year month date hour minute second and that's that's all people really thought about and that was pretty good for that time era yeah because most of the programs just ran at one place right yeah um, that's not really what we do anymore. You know, we all spin up websites, and uh, I know that I, I cringe every time I see uh, uh, getting started with uh, .NET sample, where the very first thing out in the uh, in the ASP.NET web template is a uh, datetime.now, just to show you that it, the time changes as you yeah uh, as right. you refresh the page. Because of course, that datetime.now is is actually the time on the server. Server time, has, yeah, has no bearing on what's going on in the client. Um, and I know they've they've actually um, taken my advice and fixed the templates recently, um, so that's good. <laughs> that must be a fun job, just going around to Microsoft and pointing out all the dumb things they're doing with dates and times. Yeah, it's it's actually not my job, but I do it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so this is more of an OCD thing, right? This is what your therapist recommends. <laughs> exactly. You know, when you see something broken, you got to try to fix it. Oh, and, yeah, uh, totally. You agree. know, there's there are things that are broken, and there are things that are pretty good. And, um, you know, .NET developers have been struggling with, with dates for a long time, but they're not the only ones. Um, you know, the Java uh, developers have, have a long history of, of struggling with dates and, and kind of a different storyline um, than, than .NET. And, and, of course, a lot of us write in JavaScript nowadays, um, as well as C++. And, and there's, there's different concerns in every implementation. And is this just like, are, are, does the Julian versus Gregorian thing? That one actually doesn't come up that often. Um, there's there's a, a lot of things that come up on a fairly regular basis. Um, the biggest one of concern right now is that next year is a leap year. Yeah. So it's a good idea to make sure your code is leap year aware. Um, your and, code and is of, leap year aware. Yes. Wow. Just think about that for a second. So that means you're not doing anything like, uh, you know, adding 365 days to, to get a year, right? I mean, what does that mean exactly? How could somebody screw that up? Um, well, I'll tell you a story, and it's it's very well known because it was highly documented. Um, uh, in 2012 was our last leap year. Um, the Azure Cloud actually had an issue uh, related on the 29th to of February, as I recall. And and what it boiled down to, and it, this is all uh, public information you can go read about online. Uh, but what it boiled down to was somebody had um, a process that created certificates and had um, not used a datetime API, but manually uh, was adding integers and said um, current year plus one. And the current month and the current day. Oh. So on February 29th of 2012, it generated a certificate that expired on February 29th of 2013. Yeah, which of course does not exist. That's why right. you got to use the you know the add method. You know, right? Add what? How many years? One. Yeah. Very simple fix. Um, Very simple but mistake, but it took out the entire cloud. Yeah. The the and it depends on. Um, you know, several things that can happen um, that cascaded down that line. And, uh, mm. you know, that's that's something that's been fixed. And um, we're pretty uh, confident in the ability to handle that, that problem for next year. Um, but there are there are other concerns. Um, you know, twice a year we have to deal with daylight saving time. And um, it's actually a lot more than twice a year because, you know, we're writing applications. And I say we, I mean, you know, 
all of us uh, right. writing applications that service the entire world. And the thing that's important to remember about time zones is everybody does them differently. There's no international body that governs time zones. It's not oh, a United yeah. Nations thing or, or anything like that. Yeah. Well, as soon as you understand that there's politics behind time zones, <laughs> I mean, I, I think people just don't get their head around that. Oh, I'm struggling myself. Right. My, my favorite story, and I don't mean to steal this, but this is my favorite story about time zones, is Pakistan, India, Bangladesh, Nepal, and China. Because originally, oh, yeah. Pakistan, India, and, and Bangladesh were one country, right? That was British India under one time zone. And as they formed their separate countries, they filed with the UN what time zone they wanted to be. And the only thing they knew for sure is they did not want to be in the time zone of any of those other guys. And so West Pakistan gets it filed first, right? Which became, eventually would become uh, Pakistan. And that... Uh, they've got, I was a GMT plus five and then Bangladesh filed second. That was East Pakistan then. And so they took GMT plus six. Then India goes to file and it's five and six are taken. So they went, we'll go for 530. Yeah. Five and a half. Right. And then the Nepalese, when they get independent 20 years later, don't want to be in any of those time zones. So they're GMT plus 545. That's so stupid. And across, and if you actually look at the map, across almost all of that, as far as Pakistan, is China, which is in one time zone. Right, which is plus eight. Yeah. <laughs> Not even close to any of them. So you can be in Nepal, near the center of China, and China is three hours and 15 minutes different time. That's when you insane. cross that border. Yeah, and the other interesting fact about that particular region is there are areas with border disputes, and depending on which side of the dispute you your political views lie on, you may set your clocks differently. Uh, and there are a few areas of the world that are like that, so it's it's often very difficult to tell. Um, that we have the same problem with Israel and the West Bank that um, they both follow the same UTC offsets, but they actually change their daylight saving time rules a few days differently. So there's a couple <laughs> days every year where they're an hour apart, even though they're both in the same city. This portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by Raygun Pulse. You know about Raygun, that error in crash reporting software? Well, they've just launched Pulse. It's a real user monitoring product that gives you real-time performance data and user insights, letting you understand exactly what's happening when users interact with your software. Never be left guessing. Raygun provides you with the answers to your performance questions. Having found over 10 billion bugs in customer apps with their crash reporting product, Raygun now lets you understand application quality like no one else. Over 30,000 developers worldwide can't be wrong. Try it out today with a no-risk 30-day free trial. Check them out at raygun.io. So time zones would be a mess even if it wasn't for daylight savings time. Now add to the problem Azure and where my websites get deployed. If I have them all in East U.S., great. If I have them in Europe, ooh, so, you know, my store procedures that calculate what time it is, and we only want to show certain content at a certain time, because who would do that? Um, you know, I'm talking from experience here. <laughs> you know, we're tied down to the time zone of the server where .NET Rocks is running. We literally, to to get, you know, the next shows and not show any shows in that that haven't been published yet... We have to use date add and add minus four hours 
which by the way, doesn't work during daylight savings time. So during daylight savings time, there's an extra hour, but we were like, yeah, okay. We publish at 11 versus midnight. Okay. You know, we add sys UTC date time, right? Which is what we yep. use as a, uh, as a guide. Let me get a little more concrete there. So um, I'll be the first to say, or, or maybe not the first one, but I'll say you're doing it wrong. Um, <laughs> of course we're doing it wrong. Yeah, yeah, of course we're doing it wrong. But, you know, it, this, is, this is the problem that we face, right? So, so from, a, from a time zone perspective of, of Azure and the cloud, and this applies to AWS and any other cloud provider or, or really anything that is server-centric, mm-hmm. um, there's two bits of advice. One is that the time zone of the server should always be set to UTC. Mm-hmm, and right. the second bit is that any application running on that server should not care whether or not time zone of server is set to UTC. Okay. It could be set to anything in particular, um, and it, it really shouldn't matter. So if the code is written in such a way where it depends on something like datetime.now, which is getting the local time for that time zone, then the code needs to change. And there's several different ways you can go about doing that. Um, mm-hmm. In .NET, we have built into the framework um, full support for universal time, which right. is datetime.utc now. Yep. And you will always get the same perspective back from that value, no matter what the time zone setting of the server is. Well, to be so I, yeah, to be honest, I misrepresented what we do. We actually sure. do start with sysutc datetime from SQL Server. Yeah, and and SQL Server is a little bit of a bad apple in that um, there are better databases that have built-in support for time zone conversion that mm-hmm. do handle daylight saving time. Right. Uh, Postgres and Oracle and MySQL all have solutions for that. Right. Uh, but SQL Server doesn't. Um, mm-hmm. It's unique that it has support for a date time offset type, but that just stores the fixed offset from UTC. Right. And when you consider daylight saving time, that offset changes, changes twice a year. Yep. Or if you live in Morocco, it changes four times a year. Yeah. Uh, and, there are there are places in the world where where transitions happen because of daylight saving time or because of other political changes. Um, sometimes countries change their base offsets. Sometimes they moved from one side of the international dateline to the other, like Samoa did. Um, there, there's a lot of different reasons that those things can change, and trying to codify all that into a store procedure or or into .NET code is is really not something you, the typical developer should get involved with. Uh, it, you'll just go mad trying to keep track of it all. <laughs> it will make you sad. Right. So the so the two ways to go about that in, in .NET. Uh, one is with the built-in time zone info class, mm-hmm. and that pulls out time zone information from the underlying operating system, which uh, for Windows it comes from the registry. Uh, with the Dune.NET Core, those would be the files that get shipped with Linux, yeah. uh, supporting Linux time zones. Right. Um, but in general, um, Windows time zones are kind of their own interesting creature. Um, the rest of the world doesn't follow Microsoft's standards. They follow um, the pseudo standard or de facto standard, which is the IANA TZDB database. Um, and this is also something that uh, people call Olson identifiers, because when they first came out, it was uh, Arthur David Olson was the original inventor of this back in the early days of, of the Internet. Wow. You know, back in the 80s, actually. And um, this is something that's used by Linux and Mac and Java and PHP and Python and everybody else except Microsoft. Okay, that really um, sucks. Why? Yeah. Why? <laughs> yeah. Why is compatibility? Is that it? Is that what they're concerned about? Yeah, you know, and I, I think I, I really can't answer exactly why, and I'm not even sure that 
that answer exists other than um, just say that you know things have changed recently. As you know, Microsoft is becoming much more um, open and transparent and yeah. wanting to play nice with others. Right. And, um, and to that end, things are actually changing. So um, an astute uh, listener might know that um, the Windows runtime uh, architecture that builds uh, uh, Windows 8 store apps and, uh, or whatever they're calling them these days, the universal apps, mm-hmm. um, they do support the, the TCDB time zones. Mm-hmm. And um, we're starting to get more and more support for that across the ecosystem, um, starting there and then moving into .NET Core, uh, which is starting to get support for those zones as .NET runs on Linux. And hopefully, eventually, we'll get support for them as .NET is running on Windows as well. And now, does this mean that you know when all of this happens, is there going to be a new set of time, date, you know, types or or controls or APIs or whatever, or is our existing code going to change from underneath us? And will it change to be more accurate? From from the perspective of time zones, um, none of the APIs are changing. Mm -hmm. There are two interesting things that we're working to to, 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 uh, augment the API uh, that exists today, which is in the uh, CoreFX lab project on GitHub. Mm -hmm. Uh, We're adding um, a type that is just a date. So system.date, not system.datetime. And we're also adding system.time of day, which is just the time. Um, And those two things are are quite important. And while you can use the date time type for each of those, you always have to kind of keep in the back of your head to ignore part of the data. Um, Because a a date at midnight is not necessarily the same thing as a date. Uh, There are plenty of dates that don't have a midnight. Um, for example, what? if you live in Brazil, <laughs> did he just say, he said there are dates yeah, we'll that, that don't again. have a midnight. There are dates that do not have a midnight, um, in Brazil and in Cuba and a handful of other time zones around the world, their daylight saving transition in the fall, uh, or I'm sorry, in the spring happens from 1159.59 straight to one o'clock. So it what? skips over that midnight hour. <laughs> so when they jump forward an hour, they skip that hour. Wow. That makes and sense. That's such a bad idea. It's a bad idea, but it makes sense in a weird well, way. Daylight saving time is a bad idea in general. I yes. totally agree. <laughs> we, we're all on board with just stop the daylight savings time. All it's doing is killing people and wasting energy. Right. Yeah. And, and I don't particularly care which side of that argument you lie on. I, I don't care what the offset ends up being as long as it's not constantly changing. I don't yes. like the fact that I have to have this ambiguity and, and gap every um, year that I have to contend with in my software. Um, but let's move on um, just from that topic for a little bit. Um, the other interesting thing I want to tell to .NET developers, we were talking about support for the TZDB time zones. You can get that today. There's a really awesome project called Nodatime, uh, mentioned, uh, as you're introducing me. Mm -hmm. Uh, Nodatime is an open source project from John Skeet and a few other, uh, really great .NET developers. And it's, it's really the best way, in my view, to work with time in applications, um, especially in the .NET framework. Yep, I use it uh, myself, and I recommend it to everyone. Yeah, and it's um, it's it's a much better thought-through API. It's a little more verbose, so if you're used to just saying, well, I've got a date time, I don't need anything else, you're probably going to run into a little bit of a learning curve with it. Hmm. Um, but if you think about it, the, the date time class is kind of an interesting creature because, well, it's not a class, it's a struct, but it violates several design principles, such as single responsibility principle. Yeah. Um, and there's this interesting little thing attached to it that everybody forgets about called date time kind, 
which will tell you what mode of operation you're supposed to be interpreting the value as, mm-hmm. whether it's UTC or local or unknown, or call it unspecified. And um, you know that, that becomes a problem as you're passing that thing around between different APIs or serializing it or um, trying to do conversions on it. Um, so no to time eliminates that. So what you're really saying is the, the answer to the question, what time is it, is a really, really loaded question with a <laughs> complex answer. <laughs> it is, because it, it, my time is not your time. Yeah. That's and, crazy. Uh, you know, it's important to think about that in the applications. Um, another, uh, another area that that comes up in is um, just in, in like scheduling a daily report. So you've got activity on a website, and it's capturing data. And if you're doing the right thing, you're capturing it in UTC, not in the local time of your server. Um, Or you might be using the date-time offset uh, type, which is really good, and uh, serializing your information, including the offset. Either way, you still have to contend with, well, where do I snap this 24-hour window that I'm calling a day? Right. Is it in the time zone of my company? Is it in the UTC time zone? Yeah. What if my company is in multiple time zones? Maybe it should be the time zone of the user. Um, And these are all the questions that the application designer can answer. And a lot of people don't even ask the question. Well, Richard. Yeah, buddy. Guess what time it is? (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) It's time to, uh, to, hey, what the hell time is it anyway? (laughs) What's going on? I used to know. I used to think I knew. I just don't know anymore. (laughs) I don't know either. It's actually time to give away a complete music to code by audio collection to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. Music to Code By is a set of 25-minute Pomodoro-sized, quiet and groovy instrumentals scientifically designed to promote focus. It will get you into a state of flow and keep you there. Just what you need to get stuff done. .NET Rocks fans are being way more productive with Music to Code By. See what all the fuss is about. Go to mtcb.pwop.com and check it out for yourself. All right, buddy. Who's our winner? Today's winner is Bryce Clinker. Congratulations, Bryce. Golf clap for you, sir. Yeah. And uh, we just gave him the complete, all nine tracks of music to go by. A tenth track in the works, by the way. Oh. Going to go for something a little bit different this time, but still, you know, applying to the rules of music to code by. Uh, I, you know, we were, we were in uh, Stockholm, Richard. Yes. Just a couple of days ago, you know, from this recording anyway. And uh, uh, a guy from Stockholm says, hey, I just want to tell you, Music to Code by really works for me. And I, you know, I use it all the time now. I'm like way more productive and all this stuff. It's just great. People all over the world are just having amazing results with this thing. And it makes awesome, me happy. Man. Yep. So if you don't know what we're doing here, go to .netrocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and join the .NET Rocks fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world. In every show, we like to give away stuff from our sponsors. And every December, we give away a $5,000 technology shopping spree. Coming up here real soon. Real soon. One lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club gets $5,000 worth of technology. And we'd like to ask our guests, Matt, if you had $5,000 to spend on technology today, what would you buy? A Rolex? um, (laughs) (laughs) Time humor. (laughs) Uh, The 
the two things I have high on my list right now actually have nothing to do with time, uh, but everything to do with areas of your specialty. So I'll ask your advice. Um, okay. The first one is um, I am a keyboardist, a pianist. So okay. I would really love uh, Carl's advice on a digital piano, something with good weighted keys, but still lots of good synth and, and options for different instruments. Yep. I think Bushmills makes one. <laughs> out of whiskey barrels. Yeah, we beat out of whiskey barrels. <laughs> um, actually, my favorite keyboards these days are Nord, N O R D. And if you want an 88 weighted keyboard, the Nord Stage 2 or current stage model is just How much great. Money is that, my friend? It's not cheap. They're upwards of five grand, but you know, so good. So well, nice. That get most of it. And yeah. the other thing was a DSLR, because I just tired of taking pictures on my iPhone. Yeah. I can't help you there. Yeah, it's hard. It is hard to justify a DSLR these days. I'm a Canon guy by reflex. So the the both the Mark I and the Mark V, the uh, pro the pro bodies. The, and I would tell you this. I would buy a cheaper body and a better lens. That will make the larger difference for you. And many, most of the time, some of the best lenses I've ever used in DSLRs were not made by the camera manufacturer. Sigma lenses, you know, those sorts of things, Tamron lenses. You spend a thousand dollars on a lens, 500 bucks on a body, you'll be happier than spending two thousand dollars on a body and a hundred dollars on a lens. Sounds great. I'm sure I can eat up the uh, five grand budget there between the two. Oh, there's an infinite number of things. You Camera geeks are as bad as anybody else, right? Like you, you'll consume as much money as you want. But if you start thinking in terms of buying your body and your lens separately and really going after those low f-stop lenses, like, yeah, $1,500 Tamron lens running in like an f-stop of 1.8 with a big zoom on it means you can stand at the back of the gym and take pictures of your kid on stage for the Christmas play. And, and nail it without a flash. And I just looked up the Nord Stage 2 EX88 at Sweetwater.com, which is where I buy all my gear. And they did not pay me to say that. Uh, and the, that is $4,499. So you'll hardly have money left over for a DSLR. However, one thing that's cool about Nord is not only does it come with great samples and sounds in it, and I mean great, but especially electric pianos, they're great. But you can download an app and a libraries of stuff and create your own samples and upload them with USB. So yeah, it's a full-blown sample player. And there's a, a sampler app that comes that, for free with a whole bunch of other extra sounds. Awesome. Yeah, good stuff. Should we dig into note of time a bit? Just like, I, I get the sense that if you're going to deal with date time properly, you should be using note of time and, and you got to think about it the right way. Sure. Um, so, so let me kind of give you the high points on note of time. Um, the first is that it, it does try to accurately reflect the model of the date and time domain. Um, and I, I like to think of it that way because I think a lot of people think about date time as a data type. It's right. like it's sitting along int and string and, and so forth. And um, from a domain driven design perspective, um, date time is just one of several value objects. Um, and, you know, value object is something that carries a value, like a uh, dollar is one dollar. It doesn't matter whether I give you this dollar or that dollar, it's still a dollar. Um, and date time is just like that. Uh, but the date time type itself is 
too multi-purposed. It needs um, there's there's a lot of context in how you use it, and that context gets lost easily. So one of the things Nota Time tries to do is it separates those into different types. So if you have a date time that is UTC based, we call that an instant, because no matter how you use it, you know that it's the same instant for anybody on the planet. I mean, not counting for relativity, uh, but. Uh, <laughs> Other than that, on GPS satellites. Einstein joke. Right. So, so if you if I snap my fingers and and I, I look at that from any point of time perspective, an instant it would be is correct. an instant. Right. And then separate from that, on the other end of the spectrum, we have this thing called local date time. And the wording is a little confusing, and there's there's reasons for it. But the the wording local there doesn't mean local to your own machine. It means just somebody's local. So it really is just a time zoneless year, month, day, hour, minute, second. And then in between, we have this thing called a zoned date time, which is a good intermediary that says, I'm going to take the rules of a time zone and take that instant and be able to apply it to achieve that correct local date time. And uh, with that basic model there and a few ancillary types that that come out of it, um, there's a lot you can do. Um, You can pretty much represent any business domain, any application uh, logic that you need to. You can serialize stuff around. Its serializers are really good. Uh, one of the things that always bother me about the built-in serializers in .NET is every time you pass a formatting string, it's having to reinterpret that formatting string. Right. So you're eating mm-hmm. up CPU cycles, especially if you're, you're doing like a million of these things. Um, Note time has something called a pattern API, and you you create the parser once, and then you use that parser against all your data instead of having to create the parser every single piece of data. Yeah. Uh, so it's it's a lot more effective. Um, it does. So from that point in- of view, if I'm if I want to store uh, when something happened, I want to store an instant. Right. And then from that, talking, I can translate that into whatever time representation you want to make it. Yeah, and the interesting thing there is to think about what the context is. And by that, I mean, is are you time stamping? Like I, uh, somebody did something on my website. I'm, I'm logging, right. I'm taking an order, yeah, whatever. It's, time it's a great, yeah, it's a great purpose, but it's, it's present at the moment you write it and then it becomes past. Um, if you're talking about future, you're in a different area. If you're saying, I want to know what is going to happen three months from now or three years from now, um, using an instant isn't necessarily the right um, data type. And the reason for that is knowing what a year means has to take on the idea of a time zone context. Um, the government could very well change their mind about what time zone they're in. And you could say, well, a year yeah. isn't exactly 365 days now, is it? No. Well, of course, it wasn't anyway, was it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> well, it could have been 366 with the leap year, but right. it may have been 364 in 23 hours because you were short an hour. Right. Um, and, and there's well, a few and, other ways. And we haven't even think. talked about leap seconds because they exist too. Leap seconds. Oh, yeah. yeah. My f- now we're getting into the stuff that makes me so happy. Leap seconds, uh, I'll make you happy. Uh, for the most part, you don't need to think about them. Like, just put them out of your head. Thanks, Matt. There, there's only a few contexts where they matter. Most of the time, people are worrying about nothing. Um, right. It is a lot of much to do about nothing. But I like this mindset of storing the instant, and then however you compute it when you adjust for leap seconds or whatever else, you're going to be able to get that computation correct. Right. I mean, the biggest thing that I like about Nota Time is you're going to take all that stuff off. If I store my stuff correctly, you will take that all off the table for me. I don't have to do it. 
Uh, now we got to talk about JavaScript. Because <laughs> what could be more fun than the wonderfulness that is date math and all of that with the wonderfulness that is JavaScript? I can't think of anything that I'd rather do than deal with dates and times in JavaScript, personally. This is just what I'm saying. So you know how JavaScript has truthy and falsy yeah. type thinking? <laughs> um, similar things are there in, in the date. It's, it's a date-ish. Um, <laughs> it has one type called date. Date-ish. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, it's, it's really misnamed because what it really actually is internally is an instant. It is a, uh, an, a Unix timestamp in millisecond precision. So it's the number of elapsed seconds since, or number of elapsed milliseconds since uh, January first, nineteen seventy UTC at at midnight on the Gregorian and calendar, on the proleptic Gregorian calendar. Yes, <laughs> like to use that word. Proleptic, You're gonna be precise, dude. <laughs> yeah, basically means pretend it always happened. Uh, yeah. I never heard that word until calendars, but uh, um, <laughs> that's what proleptic means. Um, and. It basically says, whenever you look at a date object, I'm going to make the assumption for you that you mean to interpret that in your local time zone. So it takes that timestamp, takes your the time zone of wherever the code is running, assuming it's a browser, that might be the right one, um, and applies that and then shows that to you in terms of local time. So if you were to take the string and go apply it somewhere else, it's not necessarily the same instant on the back end as it was shown to you. And this also presents a big problem for servers because, you know, we're running a lot of JavaScript in Node.js nowadays. And uh, on Node.js, you know, if, if the server's time zone happens to not be UTC, well, then you're getting local date math mixed into your business logic based on whatever that time zone happens to be. So it's, it's a real pain. Um, the other thing is there's a lot of inconsistencies around it. And some of it have to do with the way it was defined in the, in the ECMAScript specification. There's actually a part of the original ECMAScript 1.0 spec that lasted all the way up until the recent 6.0. They finally fixed it. And that actually says, forget about the history of daylight saving time. Just take the current role and pretend it always happened. Uh, and as you know, in 2007 in the United States, we changed, or you may know, uh, we changed our rules. We changed the, the dates that we start and stop DST. Yeah, thanks mm -hmm. for that. And, uh, and across the world, that kind of change happens very frequently. There's about a dozen or more changes to the time zone database every year. Um, and the ECMAScript spec basically says to ignore that. Um, and it wasn't just an optional thing. It was mandatory. So <laughs> they fixed that. Hmm. Um, and newer browsers are doing the right thing um, slowly but surely. But there's still a lot of old browsers out there. Um, the good news is there's some pretty great libraries. Um, I work on something called moment.js. Right. Oh. Uh, and moment is basically a wrapper around date. So it has some of the same flaws. It's still mutable. Um, date object is mutable. Um, people forget that. Hmm. But um, it does let you work in different time zones. And it lets you project um, strings in different languages. It understands, I think, um, I want to say over 60-something languages right now. Hmm. Uh, and we're adding more all the time. Um, it's, I think, the number... 11 or 12th project on GitHub in terms of uh, popularity. Wow. Congrats. And uh, it's got a lot of uh, support. It's not my library. Um, I, I join in rather late, um, and I do most of the triage when people report bugs to find out what's actually a bug and what's just people not understanding date time. Right. 
Um, I also do a lot of uh, question and answer on Stack Overflow. So anybody out there with uh, date time questions, that's the place to post them. Yeah. Um, but uh, things could be better. And some things are changing in the underlying um, uh, standards that are being rolled out to the browsers. And there's also um, some work being done in various libraries that uh, should make things cleaner as well. But um, JavaScript is definitely not a friendly place for, for the typical date time person now. And I think a lot of developers look at, well, how is it supposed to be done? And I'll do it that way. And they don't realize that it was never really thought through how it was supposed to be done. Right. Yeah. <laughs> there wasn't a plan. <laughs> yeah. Well, the plan in JavaScript was pretty much emulate the Java util.date type that existed in Java 1.0. Right. Even though they deprecated most of its functionality in Java one one, is there a, is there a advantage to sort of pushing all that daty timey mathy stuff to um, a service running on a server somewhere where at least you know where the environment is and you know you 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 have a consistent uh, outcome every time? I would say for application logic, absolutely. Uh, if you've got some business plan that says I. Um, you know, I allow orders to go out for the next week or um, the sale expires on this day yeah. in this time zone. Or maybe you're calculating somebody's birthday. That's actually a very easy thing to get wrong. People calculate birthdays wrong all the time. But there are obviously things that need to be calculated on the on the client side, too. Yeah, uh, less than you would think. But I know a lot of people write single page applications and want to do as much as they can on the client side. Yeah. Right. Uh, or they may have similar code running in a Node.js process on the back end. And that's, that's where we see the other side of that. So, yeah, okay. Um, putting it on a server isn't necessarily a bad idea, but I wouldn't necessarily want to make every single um, date calculation call to be you know, an Ajax call that goes out to a back end somewhere to do, the, to do the math on it. I'm just trying to think of a good example where the, the date and time at the client, wherever the client is, has to be taken into account, and uh, yeah, I suppose it can be passed, right? And the calculations done on the on the server, but but if it has to be taken into account and then calculated there, right there, then and there, I'm trying to think of a good example of that. <laughs> sure. So part of the problem is you really can't trust a client's clock. Yeah. You know, the user may have their clock in sync or it may be out of sync. Yeah. Uh, so you, you don't want to rely on, you know, even and, if you, you could. You don't do know that. if it's in, not, not in sync or just on a wacky time zone. Yeah. It's not necessarily trustworthy. Yeah. Uh, and a lot of people try to do things like um, detect the user's time zone in JavaScript. And um, that's actually a very challenging problem. Asking for trouble. Yeah. Um, JavaScript only has one method, which is get time zone offset, and it exists on the date instance. So really all you can do is say, what's the offset for this time right now hmm. based on the user's time zone setting? Right. And that, it, like we said earlier, you know, a time zone is not the same as a time zone offset. Hmm. Um, actually, you probably answer my two-thirds of my questions on Stack Overflow that way because people just assume that um, their time zone is minus eight or plus six or whatever it happens to be. And that's not the right way to describe a time zone. Right. Um, when we say Pacific time, what we really mean is the region that it uses UTC minus eight during standard time and uses UTC minus seven during daylight time. Right. And is identified by the America slash Los Angeles identifier in the time zone database. And uh, that's actually a very difficult thing to get out of JavaScript right now. Um, there's some good libraries to help you guess. There's something called JS time zone detect that will help you guess that. Um, but it's just a guess. So 
at the end of the day, you have to present a drop-down list somewhere for your user to pick their time zone if time zone is important to you. Because you literally get into situations where the same location, depending on what government rules you're following, like not even GPS data would be enough. What data, what rule set are you following in this location? Because there could be more than one. Right. And, you know, at, at the end of the day, you're going to ask your user. You're going to ask them by looking yeah. at their setting on their computer or by prompting them a setting in your own application. Sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, because it is ultimately up to them what time zone they want to follow. Right. So um, there are ways to do time zone by lo- uh, location, by Latin long coordinates, and you would look them up on a map. Yeah. Um, actually, I, I just finished uh, working with the uh, Windows team on building that very feature into Windows 10. So um, with the November update to Windows 10 that just released a few days ago, you can now um, set your time zone automatically based on your your location. Um, and that's something Windows hasn't had for a yeah, while. Yeah, no but, kidding. But other platforms have. Yeah, I, I'm, yeah, I just had that happen to me actually with the new terrible. update. While I was Sweden, my computer changed its time itself. Hopefully to the right one. <laughs> yes, that I. But I've learned not to let it change time because it Outlook mangles things when you do that. Yeah. Yep. That's an old problem. What yeah. about um, new versions of JavaScript, ECMAScript six? Is there anything new? Um, and ES seven? Is there anything on the on the horizon for dates and times there? There's nothing new in ES seven that I'm aware of, at least not yet. Um, in ES six, um, the big change was that a a date time that is unspecified, meaning um, if I just tell you the date and time and I give it to you in ISO format which is the year, month, day, hour, minute, second, separated by a T, big capital letter T. You've probably seen that. It's the ISO 8601 format. Yeah. Um, if I don't pr- proceed it with a Z, which means Zulu time or, or UTC, right. um, and I don't proceed it with an offset of like plus zero or plus one, um, then I haven't told you anything about its time zone. Um, and in that particular case, ES5 was interpreting that as UTC in all cases. Um, and that's actually wrong uh, by the ISO standard. The ISO standard says when I don't tell you, it's local time. Um, so that's been fixed for ES6. Um, unfortunately, they didn't apply the same rules to the date only type. So if I just put in year, month, day separated with hyphens, that's still interpreted as UTC. And it really shouldn't be. It really should be interpreted as local time. Um, Unless and, and it's is- GMT. <laughs> yeah, well, can of worms. <laughs> you for, for, and and let's be clear: for all intents and purposes, UTC and GMT are the same thing. Uh, and I know I'm going to get an earful about that because there's there's a lot of different perspectives on how to look at that. But what I mean is the values you're getting back are the same. Yeah, I read that blog post of yours. That that was pretty crazy. Yeah. Um, and, and, and in reality, you know, UTC is a system of timekeeping where GMT is a time zone or a time zone offset. Um, and they do have a distinct history. Um, GMT was based on Greenwich Mean Solar Time, uh, where UTC is is based on leap, leap seconds plus the TAI atomic clock time. So, uh, but there's my inner time nerd for you. <laughs> um, <laughs> the uh, at the end of the day, they they mean the same thing to the average developer, right? Uh, but uh, they're not always interpreted that way. We don't ne- usually work in leap seconds. Yeah. I would pretty much ignore leap seconds from your, your vocabulary, unless you're doing high precision timing with civil times. And if you are, 
let me know because I rarely see that outside of like uh, navigating ships <laughs> or doing astro- astronomy. You know, maybe we could start a a, a sister podcast called Leap Seconds. <laughs> um so the the last area that i i just mentioned is um uh there's there's a lot of problems with um different areas in in working with daytime that are actually pretty easy to deal with and then there's some that are pretty harder so um from a net perspective like you don't want to be subtracting two dates to figure out how long something took there's a really nice class called the stopwatch so you want to start a stopwatch, stop it, and then look at its elapsed property. Yeah, um, and that will get you around the daylight saving time problems there. Um, it also keeps you away from dealing with people fiddling with their clocks to try to get different values. Right. Um, the other thing is scheduling. Um, scheduling is very difficult, and people often underestimate how hard it is to schedule something uh, because your local time is at the whim of your government. Um, you may not know what is going to happen in the future. And if you try to schedule something based on UTC, uh, it will probably be wrong. So the advice you hear a lot on the web is always store in UTC and then always put in local time at the end. Well, there's always an exception to that. Hmm. And the exception is scheduling. If you're scheduling time into the future, you actually want to store the local time, not the UTC equivalent. Hmm. Okay. Um, so hopefully those are some good tips for people. And if nothing else, at least got you thinking about, um, the kinds of date and time errors you might have in your application. Um, good area to go look at and put some unit tests around and and give them a good try. So let's call out some resources here. People can go to, uh, your blog. Sure. My blog is codeofmat.com. And, um, there's also stack overflow. Um, just tag your question with date time or time zone, depending on, on what it is. And I, I subscribe to those. And so do a lot of other people. Um, there's also the Pluralsight course. So if you have a Pluralsight subscription, take a look at date and time fundamentals. It's a rather lengthy course, but uh, feel free to pick and choose the areas that are interesting to you. And you can always catch me on Twitter. And what's your Twitter handle at MJ one eight five six. Awesome. Matt Johnson, thank you. I feel much, much more calm about dates and times now. And oddly empowered. (laughs) All right. We'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Plop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a band by the MCC. Yes, I'm a, a